Welcome to After the Act, a film podcast where we talk about movies and shows that we watch. We are your hosts. I am Randy, here with the Jiggly Director and the Jiggly Director. We have another top five episode for the lovely folks in this world. Another I mean, one. We, we're just we're just DJ collying this entire process because uh, lists are. They're fun to make. They're also entirely stressful and makes you sad because you're leaving things off. They do. They do. There's a guttural pissed off tone in every every time you make a list. But we said we were going to do this last time, so we're going to do it again. So this time we have our top five directors of all time. Of all time. Yeah. Here we go. Actually, before we before we uh we get into this, man, can I just say, after this episode, I need to take a fucking break from these top mm. fives. It's becoming mm. very difficult because mm. I like to spread the love. I'm a lover, not a ranker. You know, like I don't like mm. to. Let's say I see three really pretty girls at a club. I don't like to rank them. I just mm. want to love all of them. Just let me love all of them. You're okay. you're preventing me from doing what comes natural to me. Okay, so. So just right off the bat, this was incredibly frustrating. Uh, I'm not happy with it. Okay, <laughs> I just want you to know this. I'm, I'm, I'm just not. Uh, so I feel you. I feel you, man. I feel you. You know, you you don't want to rank the love. You're more of a you know democratic socialist. That's fair. I am in my heart as well. Um, but also sometimes I want to tell people when they're good and when they're shitty, and th- and that's what ranks are for. That's what ranks are for. <laughs> We're able to tell them who's worse and who's better. Um, no, I feel that. Like, all these directors that we're going to talk about, they're pretty much in our, like, a master class list. Like, these are all just great ones. Um, and it was hard listing this inherently because it comes with the baggage of all of their movies that they've directed. So th- the way we did this is we chose directors that ha- had directed at least – five movies that have been released already um, only to cut down on so many new newer directors that I love and would probably put on this list just because they're my favorite directors right now. So they've directed at least five movies. We listed five of them and it's difficult because the ones I have on honorable mentions, they all have just a, a, a pantheon of work that feels like I'm saying are not worthy to put on a top five list. And that's, that's what hurts because it makes me feel like, they're going to listen to this episode because they're all big fans and say, wow, like they ain't fucking with us. That's fucked up. I was going to put them in a new Spike Lee movie, but like you ain't showing me enough love, man. Like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I don't, I don't want that with any of these guys, but we're going to, we're going to go through the list. I guarantee that no one will probably like my list, (laughs) at least the order, but that's fine because you have your list. I have mine. And we're going to get into it. Uh, any any uh, any pre-thoughts, preambles before we get into this? How was it picking directors for you? Uh, you know, I, it was there was a lot of inner conflict because a lot of these directors can be viewed as very mainstream. Uh, obviously, there's directors who have such a vast catalog of work, which I think made this except is what made this exceptionally difficult. Um, but I try to keep it balanced. Uh, I tried to keep the genres in which these directors work kind of diverse. I didn't want to just have one type of tone when it came to directors. So 
I tried to spread the love as much as I could. So I'm not necessarily basing my list on who I think churned out the most Oscar movies or most Oscar worthy movies or the best dramas or, you know, the most classics. It really was just a list of directors who I thought created works that I thoroughly enjoyed personally. So my rank really isn't um, about who's the better director. Uh, it's really just based on who, which director do I know brought me the most joy with the most movies. So that's how I ranked mine. Yeah, and I love that summary. That's pretty much my my take on it too because there are plenty of directors I know are probably voted greater than a lot of the people I've listed. But this is just from my lens. Like I, I have a bunch of gaps in my uh, filmography of what I've seen. Um, so I can't really give credit to the movies I haven't seen yet, nor their directors, even though I know a lot of these people are great directors. So like you said, the movies that's made me happy, who directed those movies, if I like their style, um, if I like what they usually have to say when they bring the script to life, that's where I went. Um, and we'll get into that. Um, if there's nothing else, let's get into our highly controversial top five directors of all time. By the way, please time. send us all the hate mail because we love that shit. Um, yes. Just so you know, we, we, we feel so sad when we don't hear your hate. So once you disagree with our list, let us know. All right. But here we go. <laughs> Number five. Who's who's going who's going to take it first? You want me to take it first? You want to go first? How are we doing this? I'll let you. I'll, I'll usually take it first, but I'll let you go first. Go, go right. for it. So my number five was a director who I've enjoyed since I was a child. Uh, as many of you probably can guess, based on a lot of the reviews that we do, I love horror films. I think horror films are incredibly difficult to make charming. Uh, a lot of horror films have a bad reputation most of the time because. You know, a lot of production companies like to churn them out with minimal minimal care on, you know, character development, good writing, good dialogue, etc. Really just, you know, release them during Halloween and expect just a nice little cash grab for minimal investment. But every now and then you have directors who do a fantastic job with uh, just creating pieces of work that are genuinely scary um, and they happen to likable characters. And I think for me, a director who has done that in the horror genre is Wes Craven. So Wes Craven is my number five mm. director. Um, and that's just because he's created so many great works. Uh, Hills Have Eyes. He's done three of my favorite franchises, which are Scream, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and a lot of people really hated this movie. Uh, but My Soul to Take, I actually thought was a pretty original concept. Yeah, albeit the execution wasn't that great. Um, but I did enjoy the fact that Wes Craven has always, for the most part, tried to churn out original content, which is really hard to see nowadays, especially in the horror genre. Um, so yeah, he's made a lot of the classics that I've come to love, uh, scared the shit out of me as a kid. Uh, really love the fact that, you know, Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on the Elm Street came from a homeless man that he saw as a child wearing a Christmas sweater that just scared the shit out of him. So um, yeah, he's he's made some really intriguing horror films. Really love Wes Craven's work. Uh, unfortunately, he did pass away, I think, in 2012, 2013. But his work definitely lives on. Um, they're classics. You you know, Freddy Krueger is a household name. Same with Scream. Uh, so he's just kind of been doing this for decades. 
kind of reinventing the wheel every time with slashers in general uh, and suspenseful films. So thank you, Wes Craven, RIP. You are my number five director. That's a great choice, man. That's a great choice. He was definitely um, amongst many people. I had a debate where he lived in my my list of the supreme directors of the world. But you're right. Like The two franchises alone that could put him on anyone's list, you mentioned Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Scream is responsible for, I mean, any meta horror commentary you could think of that's heavily featured in a movie uh you know past the 90s yeah that's mostly because of scream and countless slashers and supernatural uh lore characters definitely derive their shit from freddy so he's a legend he's definitely a legend in the game r.i.p to the man's and great number five pick and let us know what your favorite scary movie is um but yeah man uh west craven uh, it's funny because he came to me after the fact. Uh, like I had gotten my top five original, like my original top five, and I was like, "Wait a minute, I feel like I'm missing something really important here." And then I actually ended up watching uh, one of those horror films quite quite recently, and I was like, "Oh my god, Wes Craven, great choice!" But uh, yeah, I-, I guarantee your number five is something different. So let's see what it is. Sure is. So my number five director is Christopher Nolan. There we Christopher go. Christopher Lo- Nolan. Uh, obviously, definitely became a household name over these past decade. Um, at this point, the only marketing you need is, you know, buy Christopher Nolan. And that'll be a feature everyone would try to clamor to. Um, even during COVID, like uh, the biggest movie that was controlling essentially when theaters could open is when Tenet was willingly going to be released. Um, I haven't seen Tenet yet. I haven't really, you know, risked my life to see that movie. But, I mean, that's how much of a household name he is, is that that's where all the production companies are putting their money on, Tenet saving all the theaters. Um, I love Christopher Nolan's style. Um, I think the first movie I've seen of his technically was Batman Begins, but then not so so long after that, I saw Memento, which is just a uh, mind-boggling fuckery. That's, I love the cerebral nature of his films. He definitely loves to play with how the, cin- the cinematography can affect you cerebrally, which maybe you can argue anyone does. But I feel like he has a specific uh, kind of flair to it where um, – it takes your senses and it really hones you in. So Memento played with the narrative in a way where it just makes you rethink the entire uh, narrative of the film. I think things like Inception um, played with visuals in brand new ways that I haven't really seen many movies try to replicate, maybe aside from uh, Doctor Strange and Marvel. Um and obviously, obviously, the Dark Knight series, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises. Batman Begins and the Dark Knight are easily amongst like probably top ten, definitely superhero movies of all time, but just movies of all time. Um, he's able to just to take these characters, ground them in ways you've never seen before, and just make these grand set pieces with highly, highly memorable characters that you just want to sit through. Um, Interstellar. I really liked Interstellar. Um, I don't think it's like as loved as a lot of these other movies, but 
I really like Interstellar. It's a great play on this weird space odyssey um, dealing with the family dynamics and how that even uh, runs parallel to the space-time continuum. It's fun. His movies are fun. Dun- uh, Dunkirk, I also really liked. It's a movie that pretty much needed no words. He just used sound and visuals and kind of he kind of disregarded a lot of the dialogue I usually like in some of his movies. He didn't need it with Dunkirk. That's how much of a master he was with, you know, choosing his DP and making sure it aligned with his visions. Uh, he's a cerebral master. Um, a lot of his work are, you know, amongst my favorite movies of all time. And that's why he's my number five director. Solid. You know what? Maybe, maybe we will overlap on some of these. We'll see. Could, um, could happen. Could yeah. happen. But no, I completely agree with you, man. Christopher Nolan just churns out bangers uh, if we're going through like if we're just going through his catalog. Like you said, the Dark Knight trilogy, probably my favorite Batman iteration. I know a lot of people are on the fence about that. A lot of, you know, debates are sparked about who was the better Batman, who was the better portrayal of Batman in the better universe. But no one can deny that he definitely made something quite memorable with those three films. He took a concept as zany as Batman with some of these villains, and he kind of grounded them in these dark, gritty realities that really resonated with people uh, who saw these films. So I do love Christopher Nolan. I thought uh, Inception was a really original film, really enjoyed it. Of course, you know, that movie became highly popular and like everything else highly spoofed but it is uh it is just a delight to be able to watch that movie multiple times and try to come up with different theories every single time about what happened in the film uh so when a movie can do that i I absolutely love it and i love the fact that christopher nolan is just very consistent so it's a solid top five choice man good job yeah all right hit us with that number four so my numero cuatro uh, is actually probably my most mainstream pick. But this next director, you cannot deny, uh, if we're talking about bangers, he just churns them out all the time uh, for decades. Some of my favorite films were either directed by this person or produced by this person. This person is a Hollywood legend. Um, so without any further ado or delay, uh, my number four is Steven Spielberg. Um, and of course, exactly. Uh, one of the most popular directors of all time, uh, one of the, the most well-known names in the industry and for good reason. Uh, if you just look at Steven Spielberg's catalog, he is responsible for just putting out classics like movies that grossed top earning box office, uh, levels of money. And he's broken records several times. He's done E.T., Jurassic Park. Uh, he did uh, recently Ready Player One. Uh, he just finds new ways to entertain the viewer. And, of course, he's said some controversial things before about, you know, Netflix not being a viable uh, place for uh, movies to release, so therefore they shouldn't qualify for Oscars and all this other stuff. You know, whether you believe he truly embraces modern-day film culture is one thing, but uh, his catalog cannot be denied. Steven Spielberg is the man when it comes to directing i think if not one of the men um so yeah uh delight one of my favorite movies that i believe he produced was poltergeist uh which again is one of my top favorite horror films um so yeah he just he's kind of always pushing the boundaries of 
of what can be entertaining and a lot of his stuff is very original. He's not afraid to to tackle any project and I respect any director who can do that and do it as consistently and successfully as Steven Spielberg. So he is definitely my number four. Hey, it's it's really hard to think of top directors and not come across Spielberg. Like you said, the bangers are endless. Like even trying to look at his filmography page, um, probably haven't seen two thirds of his work, probably more than that. Yet there are so many I've seen that are absolutely incredible. So that's a great pick. Um, when you need a banger, it's it's a pretty easy call to get Spielberg on on board. And I think like his last decade of films have not been in my repertoire of what I like about Spielberg. Probably literally the last 10 years of his movies I haven't really liked. But there's so much in uh, the you know early 2000s, 90s, 80s that are undeniable. They, they've shaped... Uh, cultural significance uh, in mass ways. So, absolutely great number four pick. By the way, man, who was the what, what? Like off the top of the dome, what would you say your favorite Spielberg film was? Mine's definitely Jurassic Park. Like as a kid, that just did it for me. Like just watching these giant dinosaurs come to life on the screen with animatronics that still hold up today um, is just is just really impressive. So that's my favorite Spielberg work. What about you? It's Jurassic Park. <laughs> the same Jurassic shit. Park. It's, <laughs> it's fucking great. It's perfect. It's perfect. I just did a Jurassic Park rewatch of the original three. Uh, Lost World is actually better than I remembered. It's not great, but it's better than I remembered. But Jurassic Park is just kind of perfect. Like, I can't think of anyone else who can fucking set set pieces with that kind of pacing as well as you know Mr. Jaws himself. So yeah, Jurassic Park is that's a quintessential. Why is Steven Spielberg a great director? Yeah, watch Jurassic Park. That's really all you need to know. Need to know. Yeah, and Jaws is, I think, the perfect movie. Um, yes, that's where a lot of the Jurassic yeah. Park vibes came from. It's just that what, however, he was able to pull off Jaws as like what, like a twenty-seven-year-old. Um, yeah, he carried that with him. He knows how to build that suspense. I was afraid to swim in pools after Jaws because for some strange reason I thought a shark might be in a pool when I was a child. So that should say it all. Listen, he does so he does such a good job of disguising the shark throughout the movie. You don't know where that motherfucker's gonna come from. Who knows? Um but great, yeah. Great number four. Great number four. Um right, and then I think I have a let's see what you I think got. I have a I have an equivalent number four. Another uh another legacy of the game. Uh, someone who in every other list probably be, you know, number two, number one. And the only reason why he's not for me is just because of my love for a lot of the more recent works with these other directors. But my number four is the man himself, Martin Scorsese. Um, again, trying to think of who's on that uh, Mount Rushmore of directors. Like, I can't not just try to dissect Scorsese's work. Um, the One of the fathers of a lot of modern and postmodern cinema um taxi driver uh new york new york uh goodfellas goodfellas is definitely the first movie i've seen of his and i was as a kid and even then you know i shouldn't be watching that movie but you just this guy breathes new york <laughs> he he breathes trying to create that new york city character in so much of his work and he does it so well uh, even with his recent movies like The Irishman, which The Irishman really tried to grapple with, 
okay, you have all these quintessential gang movies, gang life movies that Scorsese is so good at crafting. Uh, and the Irishman took that and said, okay, but what if these guys kept living, you know, past the credits? What happens to these these uh, gangs of the world that he's crafted? What what's how lonely is the life after that life is over? Um, he so he he creates these utterly crazy uh, New York esque movies, but then he's also able to create really weird, fun ones too, like The Wolf of Wall Street, which I think is one of my favorite movies of his, which is an out of an out of its mind movie. The Wolf of Wall Street is as out of its mind as the actual people on Wall Street were. Um, it's Yo, such a fun, pen. hilarious movie. <laughs> it's. I mean, listen. If you want a, if you want a scene of Jonah Hill and Leonardo DiCaprio uh, being higher than anyone can without dying, crawling on the floor, uh, literally entangled in each other's limbs, Wolf of Wall Street has that too. I don't know how, but they made it work. I'll watch that movie every year, and it's fun. Um, they don't have characters to look up to at all. You should not, but it's a fun movie. He's he's able to do things like that. He even you know attempted things like Shutter Island, Shutter Island, which has you know the cla- a lot of the classic things you would think about of uh thriller psycholog- psychological thriller with really interesting twists that have then been you know like duplicated ever since uh, he's able to do that too so he can give you the the new york city grittiness um of that uh pseudo mafia mentality of a lot of these characters he can also give you interesting psychological thrillers uh, the Departed. Who doesn't love the fucking Departed? Uh, this man clearly loves Leonardo DiCaprio, and I don't blame him because he's great in all these movies too. So, uh, any other day, I could I could have easily listed Martin as number one, but listen, being on this list at, at all is an honor, Martin, and that is why I honored you with my number four spot of my top five directors of all time. And that is why I picked him as my number three. So <laughs> let me just go into it. Um, you you summed it up pretty nicely. I will say this. Taxi I think Taxi, Taxi Driver, Driver was his first film. He that's his first great film. First He's had great um film. yeah. He had four before that. Okay. All right. Yeah, his first great film. Uh and that listen, a lot can be said about all his films, but for me, Taxi Driver is probably my second favorite. Uh, it's just that Robert De Niro chemistry yeah. that he had, you know, Martin Scorsese has with with Robert De Niro. Those two, when they're on the screen, uh, is just magic. And I remember Taxi Driver seeing this young Robert De Niro, uh, just kind of portray what a tough guy would be like in New York City in what the seventies. Um, you know, I think in that film too, it just kind of deals with paranoia, um, with like slightly you know, uh, like toxic masculine undertones, which is actually great because it works for the time period quite well. Um, also, I believe uh, Dick Smith did the makeup and blood for that film, uh, who is a legend. He did he did the same uh, effects for the movie The Godfather. Uh, so he just kind of had a star-studded cast in the making back then, and it just culminated into this beautiful film where you really understood this character and what he was going through. And then from there, it just kind of, you know, takes off with uh, with those two working together. I think Robert De Niro appears in 
several of his other films, The Irishman, Goodfellas. Um, there was also, I'm trying to remember, uh, Cabin Fever, I think, is Martin Scorsese, which is actually probably one of my top films of his. Uh, fantastic movie. Uh, really deals with, you know, the concepts of right and wrong and how skewed they can be and, you know, the gray areas in between. And, again, like you said, Wolf of Wall Street. He's not afraid to just, you know, pivot from these really serious, hard-hitting crime noir films to, oh my goodness, uh, you know, Matthew McConaughey is asking Leonardo DiCaprio how many times he masturbates every day and, you know, <laughs> that he's putting up rookie numbers and he needs to masturbate even more. Um, you know, just, just magical, magically inappropriate moments, of course, but still magical uh, mo- moments he's brought to the, to the silver screen. So I really enjoy... Uh, Martin Scorsese's work for all the reasons you said um, you know you can really see his signature in all his films so obviously I haven't seen all of them he's like Spielberg he just churns out so many yeah it feels impossible (laughs) it feels impossible to do that exactly exactly Um, but yeah he is he's definitely deserved uh, my top three spot Um, so yeah Martin Scorsese good shit yeah okay look at that back to back not quite the overlap, but it, we did hit that back-to-back one time. Kind of a reach-around. You know, that's what yeah. we do here. Yeah, all about that. We're very giving. Very giving. And um, let me give, give you guys my number three. So top three territory. Your number three was Martin. My number three is Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, I talk about this guy every time we've made some kind of list best of lists anytime i can talk about his films i'll always try to talk about his films so he's definitely you know more green than the other guys uh i know he's in his 40s i think his first movie came out in 2001 but from what i've seen so far this is such a great example of a director that has a signature that you can feel in all of his works um the Lobster was the first one I was introduced to of his filmography uh, five years ago. And like I said on uh, a previous Top A24 uh, podcast we did, um, it's a great film. It's a great film. It's funny. His signature is dark comedy. He is one of, I would say, the, the modern kings of dark comedies. He knows how to dryly deliver a situation that is quite horrid but it's funny this the delivery the what he gets out of his actors every time is funny and it always has really good underlying messages whether it's the ridiculousness society places on romantic uh avenues that people feel they're forced to take uh or it's the the troublesome sophie's choice that people might find themselves in at a at a highly exaggerated example um his uh most recent film the favorites uh such a good uh female led team of or actors that deal with okay how how do you deal with the power struggle um how do you manipulate another person in order to just one up them in this really isolated world he builds he's the king of dark comedy he's a king of dry humor and his worlds make me kind of crawl in my own skin none of them are overtly horror aside from maybe killing of the sacred deer 
which definitely dives into psychological horror. But they're all psychologically fucked, every one of his movies. Uh, Dogtooth is one that's on my list, but I heard great things about. And all his movies does have his same signature. Stark, it's dry, it's hilarious, it's tragic. That's what I like out of a good movie for my uh, palate. And that is what Yorgos Lanthimos delivers, and that's why he's my number three director of all time. You know what? I'm really surprised, uh, but also not surprised because I know you absolutely love those films. But I think that's what made this so difficult, like like I said earlier. Um, so many movies we enjoyed, and they all kind of overlap with different directors. So uh, good job sticking to your to your guns on that one and, and putting them higher on your list. I actually was not expecting that, so uh, yeah. good job, man. Uh, I do wanna I do wanna correct myself a little bit here because I think I made the mistake of mispronouncing one of my favorite movies. But the Robert De Niro movie I was thinking of was called Cape Fear. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, okay, yeah, I wasn't aware of Cabin Fever. Like, oh, maybe he did that one too. That's a different uh, horror film. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> yeah. I said horror on the brain, but uh, but yeah, yeah Cape, Cape Fe- Fear. Yeah. Cape Fear is the shit, man. I love that. I love that movie. Um, also, Raging Bull. How could I forget Raging Bull? Uh, another Oscar note uh, to go on you know, with Robert De Niro being stellar as always. So just wanted to quickly correct myself on that. Cause you know, don't want to disrespect Scorsese in any way. Um, but yeah, solid number three, man. But my number two is actually, was actually probably my, my easiest choice. Um, my number one, you know, it, it went back and forth between my number one and, and, and this next one. But this director has just made so many movies from my childhood and currently that, Oh my goodness, uh, just bring me so much joy. Uh, I also really love the fact that this particular director started from humble origins. He is a Latino, so he represents. And uh, he also really appreciates practical effects, which is something I think is slowly dying in Hollywood, unfortunately. Um, so I always love a good director who will spend more of a budget on creating practical effects that look uh, a little bit more real on film kind of bring you into the movie a little bit more compared to cgi in my opinion uh, of course i'm always for a good combination of both but this particular director just does practical effects just to perfection so my number two guillermo del toro um his movies where should i start uh he had the shape of water in 2017 which won uh which won the oscar which was fantastic it was such a weird combination of romance and sci-fi and horror all jumbled up into one and only a way Guillermo del Toro could do. Um, he's had Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, which is, I know, a lot of people's favorite. Um, and then he went to like the giant mech franchise with Pacific Rim. Uh, became really famous in 1993 for his film Kronos, which was probably still one of my favorite per- portrayals of what a vampire should be uh, compared to all the iterations I've seen on film for that. Uh, obviously, Blade Two, the best Blade movie, uh, went to Guillermo del Toro. Uh, Hellboy, uh, Mimic, uh, recently Scary Stories Telling Dark. The list goes on. Like he, he is not afraid to think outside the box with these weird zany tales, and just the world he creates. Not only with his directing, but with the team he works with, with the practical effects, the lighting. The music, this, you know, all of it is just so perfectly blended together that you cannot mistake Guillermo del Toro's style with any other director. It is so original, and I and I truly enjoy all of his movies. I, I watch them at least twice every year, a lot of these films. 
And, uh, you know, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So I just wanted to give Guillermo del Toro the utmost respect. I also really love the fact that he started, much like how we we are starting uh, with our film, you know, careers slash hobby lives. Um, he started off with a short film, and it was called Geometry. And it was this really low-budget uh, movie that he made uh, fresh out of film school, I believe, or in film school in Mexico. And uh, it's just about this little boy who... Uh, in the 80s failed his geometry class and he doesn't want to fail geometry again so he makes a pact with a demon he summons to uh, never fail geometry again and of course the demon being a demon kind of flips the rolls on him and I won't spoil too much for you you should check it out I think you can find it on either Vimeo or YouTube but it is uh, is really charming it's really cool to see what you can do with a limited budget uh, so to see Guillermo del Toro kind of blow up from where he started is just is just amazing. So go check out his movies if you haven't seen a lot of them. Uh, you won't be disappointed. You'll be kind of captivated in this this beautiful, surreal worlds that he creates. So definitely my number two. Um, what about you, man? Hey, honestly, I thought that was going to be your number one. That was my internal bet was uh, Guillermo was going to crack that top one. But, um, yeah, that's a great pick. He's, he's a fucking legend. Um, Pan's Labyrinth still haunts my daydreams um it's uh um like out of debating all the directors i need to put on my list i kind of wanted to revisit a lot of the movies um and i didn't get to his uh catalog again but i just remember like even with the most recent one the shape of water which is the last one i've seen of his it's just he creates such interesting fan like actual fantastical worlds um like I never thought I would be so intrigued about this mermaid god being in love with this woman, but I was I was totally invested in that relationship to see how it plays out, and I feel like a lot of his films are just that that this these fantastical worlds with very intriguing character dynamics, and he's able to pull a lot from his actors. So that's a great number two. Thanks, man. Great also, like I never thought I'd be as interested in, you know, the question they pose in The Shape of Water, which is where's his penis? And then they just kind of show, you know, it opens up and kind of sticks out. I didn't even know I cared about things like that until they did it. So thank you, Guillermo del Toro. Thank you so much. Um, I also believe the, the main character in that movie uses, speaks in ASL, right? American sign language or sign language of some kind, um, which is really cool. He's kind of, you know, does great with representation as well. So this is another reason to love him. Um, Yeah. He's, he's, He's awesome. Like I said, it was really tough between my number one and, and Guillermo del Toro. Switch back and forth quite often, so I'll just count them as you know e- equivalent at this point. Sure, that's fair. Um, I was looking at his list, and apparently he's doing uh, a Pinocchio movie. I saw set that, to yeah. appear on Netflix, so that'll be interesting. I'm actually really interested in that movie with Guillermo behind the lens. That sounds actually great. That's another weird, fantastical journey that takes characters that shouldn't exist but humanizes them in weird ways so love it do more stuff do more stuff all right so my number two director of all time this this one probably changed the most um i actually had to look at my list again to make sure it was the right one but my number two is bong joon ho wow okay all right um he's definitely started to capture my heart 
uh, earlier in this decade. And then since then, I've been going back and forth on his uh, his catalog. Um, I think he's directed. Uh, let's see. He's directed eight films. He's written, you know, maybe around a dozen of them, um, not including his short films. But everyone knows Parasite now. Everyone knows how great Parasite is. Even if you haven't seen the movie, you've seen all the Oscar nominations it's got, and it deserved every single one of them. Um, his films depict this, you know, it has great character, even in the city itself, like the 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 city in you know South Korea that a lot a lot of these places are are set in. Um, they feel alive. They, I feel like even without knowing the actual economical struggles in a lot of detail that's happening in the South Korean regions he's depicted, you can feel it in movies like Parasite where there's this dichotomy of the haves and the have-nots. Um, and the, the, the rich, really funny characters. He's really good at this incorporating this, his natural humor into all of these movies. Uh, you can see that a lot in Parasite. Um, the Host, a movie that came out back in 2006, is this monster kidnap film where it's this sea monster created by you know humans being humans that goes around kidnapping people and his family is just trying to get their daughter back and that film alone has a lot of heart has a lot of tragedy has like very interesting set pieces uh with these practical effects in place where i haven't seen a monster movie like this before but the host was fantastic came out 15 years ago um, Snowpiercer, God, I love Snowpiercer. Just a great original. What happens when a dystopian society takes place on a train? What kind of class systems can you depict with that setting alone? And the answer is so many, so well, so gruesomely, so disgustingly. Um, he's able to have this this smorgasbord of thematics that he displays in all his films. I love his style, absolutely. Um, I won't stop until I finally finish all of his feature films and his short films because his style definitely speaks to me. I, I love what he has to say in all these movies and how he says it. Um, and that is why he's my number two directors of all time. Honestly, I was not expecting that either, man. Good job. Keeping it diverse. Yeah. Okay. All right, good, good. Following good my heart on these. I actually haven't seen Snow Snowpiercer. Um so this just gives me a reason to, to pick that up, honestly. Um, so, yeah, good stuff, man. Um, as you can probably guess my number one. You know what? You know what? I'm going to do this, actually. I'm going to give you a chance to, to guess it because I think you know what it is, who it is. So I'm going to give you the floor to guess. Here we go. One, two, three. Uh, is, is it Stanley Kubrick? Dude, no. That was – that's one of my honorable mentions, Stanley Kubrick. Okay. <laughs> I'll um, – I'll, I'll, I'll just use that as one guess. That's I wasn't actually sure. Okay. No, Stanley Kubrick, you, you kind of spoiled oh. an honorable mention, but Yeah, I, I know who it is. All right, I know who it is, because it's it's yeah. I'm looking at it on a list I have. Go for it. <laughs> okay. So as you, Go as for you it, probably motherfucker. guess exactly. In the words <laughs> of Samuel L. Jackson, that's my bad motherfucker. And <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, man. Um I know his discography or his, you know, not his discography, his filmography is not as vast as some of these other uh, directors. But damn it, he just he just finds ways to make me care about these just really compelling characters who are just so rich in one liners and ridiculous 
conversations. Uh, no other director, to me, has ever written better dialogue than Quentin Tarantino. Uh, if you look at all his movies, I think he's got nine now that he's di- he's directed and written himself um, as part of his like main branch of movies. I think he said he wanted to retire after ten, but obviously his first movie, Reservoir Dogs, is really what kind of threw him into stardom or fandom. And I remember the best part of that movie was just a casual conversation that uh, Steve Buscemi is having with a bunch of other, you know, big-named actors like Harvey Cattall at a table. And he's just like, I don't believe in tipping. And everyone's just like, oh, what the fuck do you mean you don't believe in tipping? You're some kind of, like, asshole or something? These people work for for peanuts, and you're not going to tip them? He's like, well, I agree, that's sad, but it doesn't mean it's my responsibility to pay for their their salary. The restaurant should do that. So I don't don't really believe in tipping. It's for the birds. And I remember, like, that whole conversation is obviously – a, a classic monologue or a dialogue between char- these characters. But that was the first time when I was young that I was just like, oh, my God, I've never cared about pointless conversations this much. Uh, and it really is – he's the director that really started making me appreciate uh, original characters uh, with original dialogue. Um, so, yeah, Quentin Tarantino is, I think, the king at that. Uh, not to mention, I think he just blends genres to perfection. Uh, he really does a good job of creating very different films uh, for himself with each with each you know passing uh, arc to, to his films. Like for instance, his first two Pulp Fiction, probably one of my favorite films of all time, Reservoir Dogs. They're very much crime films. Um, you know, they're they're heist films, uh, mobster films that are extremely charming. But then after that, he immediately follows it up with something like Jackie Brown, which, although in the same vein, is kind of like this 70s-style exploitation film, uh, which I really love. Uh, Kill Bill, he starts blending anime-esque vibes with, like, Japanese tr- like culture, Chinese culture, um, into, like, this modern-day revenge tale, which I remember in Kill Bill 1, he incorporates this animated scene where Oren Ishii uh, is describing her past, or you know, uh, Beatrix, the main character, is describing uh, Oren Ishii's past, and it's all animated, and it's in like this beautiful anime style that uh, I remember watching as a kid was just so gory and beautiful, and it just really gave this film just like a whole new dimension of of. I don't know how to describe it as like artsiness to me. Um, and that was, that was really just the start of me loving Quentin Tarantino. Um, I will be the first to say I wasn't the biggest fan of once upon a time in Hollywood, but it's still a fantastic movie. And I don't think he's ever made something that I've truly disliked. Um, one of his, one of his best films for me, if not my favorite has to be inglorious bastards. And you know, he's, he just does such a great job of, taking events that might have occurred in real life and altering them. Same with Django Unchained, um, which I think you recently saw. You hadn't seen it before. Um, and he just does a great job of, of kind of turning things on their head uh, with these really interesting characters and just giving you such a great payoff at the end of each of his movies. Um, so, yeah, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, of course, so many quotable moments from Samuel L. Thanks to Quentin Tarantino, but he's just really one of the few... Uh, directors, I think, who 
really cares about good characters and uh he's also pretty old school i think his process involves him typing on a typewriter um, that he does not share with anyone else he'll make like multiple drafts of a script and then just give actors the script parts or the dialogue parts they need as he films and i even think i heard a story once where he uh <laughs> apparently if you fall asleep on his set he'll uh he'll get a giant uh purple dildo and put it next to your face and take a picture and put it on like a wall of shame so there's just like so many reasons to make me love Quentin Tarantino. He is without a doubt my favorite director. Um, again, only tied with Guillermo del Toro, uh, but for very different reasons. So yeah, Quentin Tarantino, this the the guy, this shit. Um, every movie absolutely enjoyable. Uh, yeah, my number one. Hey, I yeah definitely expected that. Um, yeah, I mean Tarantino, he's. It's it's weird, you know, he's been around since the early 90s, but he's just such uh and he doesn't have like he takes his time with a lot of his movies. Um so it's not, you know, as plentiful as one, as one of these other directors, but yeah, he, his style is undeniable. Like you don't even have to see the credits, the pre-credits before the movie starts to know it's a Tarantino film. You'll hear it from the first dialogue. Every movie just has these peppered di- like it Honestly, probably any other producer would probably try to cut back on so much dialogue that he has because you would see it as just some ancillary shit that doesn't actually progress the story. But the dialogue itself just has so much flavor and seasoning to the scenes that it makes you like the characters more. So you're absolutely right. His dialogue is some of the best I've heard in the game. And movies like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I do not like it. I don't think it's actually a good movie. But their like Leo's arc and the dialogue throughout the movie is entirely fun because even if if it's if the script doesn't hit for me, the way he brings these characters to life is always a good time. Um, and Glorious Bastards is probably also my favorite Tarantino movie and one of my favorite movies of all time. And yeah, he is a master of trying to almost fan fictioning history, like with Once Upon a Time and Inglorious. It's it's a fun it's a fun ride. And then of course Pulp Fiction, which I'm pretty sure wasn't as lauded as it became. I'm pretty sure everyone hated it at first. That was the the, the consensus. But then there was like this one critic who was like, eh, this is a great movie. People revisited it and now it's hailed as one of the best. Um it played with the narrative so much it just would it made people uncomfortable to even like it at first. But first, that was the beauty of it. It's the first time I ever knew what a gimp was. It was thanks to that movie. Um, there is there is a lot of firsts I learned thanks to that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Bruce Willis. I mean, come on. Like that ball and gag scene where Marcellus Wallace is getting yeah. getting the business. Yeah. No. That's yeah. that was out there. I mean, there's just so many moments in his movies where you're just like, "What am I watching right now? Why Why am I watching this?" But then you can't stop watching. So, uh, also he does some pretty good productions too. Like he produces a lot of great stuff. Uh, one of my yeah. favorites is, I think, True Romance. I think he produced that, uh, maybe co-wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, but True Romance is, oh, my God, it's it's such a fantastic movie. Uh, and you could tell that he contributed to the tone of it because, again, it has these really interesting characters who, for the most part, you know, they, they obviously have their arcs, but a lot of the movie is a dialogue. And it's, you know, it's the first time you get to see, like, a young uh, Brad Pitt in a movie. I think he plays a stoner who doesn't leave the couch in that movie. It's really funny. Um, 
but yeah, just, 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 oh my God, his characters bar none, the most interesting I've seen in, in any movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, dialogue characters, also the gore factor. Like <laughs> it's, it's, you can't really have a Tarantino flick without expecting some fucked up human remains to appear on the lens. So great number, great number one, obviously like it's, um, he's, he's a legend. And while I didn't like his last flick, I'm still going to watch whatever he does next. Cause it's still Tarantino. I'm still going to get some good entertaining stuff out of that movie. Also, his origins are just like on point again, just like del Toro's. I think that's, that's why it was so hard as well. Cause he used to work, I think at a video store, like a video rental store. And he used to just watch movies all day and like, just be like, Hey, I love this movie. I love this Kung Fu movie, whatever it was. I think I can do this too. And I remember he ended up pitching his, his script for Reservoir Dogs to Harvey Katal, who he knew through like some mutual friend. And then that's how he blew up. But it's just like some regular dude just watched movies all day. It was just like, I think I could do it too. And he ends up being like one of the best, if not, you know, the best. So really cool to see, see origin stories like that. I think it just adds a little bit more charm to the director as well. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Uh, great number one choice. Um, very solid top five list. No one I really disagree with at all. All um, right, man. You're in spotlight now. Let's see. Let's see what your number one is. Yeah. So my number one director of all time. Uh, I mean, I had to go obvious vanilla because, I mean, it's a classic. You know him. You love him. You want him to be your friend. It's Steven Spielberg. It's obviously <laughs> Steven Spielberg. It's nothing too interesting or edgy or indie. It's it's Steven. It's everyone know it's Steve. ET phone home. ET phone home. Fucking ET. Like, I mean, yeah, the eighties alone. He just like, I mean, he. I know he didn't direct Poltergeist. He he wrote it and produced it, but he set the tone with what the eighties was with, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, ET, uh, the color purple, the Goonies. Like you talk I think. about some. The Goonies came out there. A lot of the a lot a lot of more Indiana Jones movies came out there too. And that and that was after he did stuff like Jaws, which totally changed the game for what people can think of when they think about what's a good horror suspense movie. Well, Jaws made that template back in seventy five. And we're talking about some of our favorite movies, but of course Jurassic Park. There's there's not a movie I can think of that sets pacing better. Than Jurassic Park, not one movie. There's that classic Jurassic Park series of scenes where it's nighttime, it's raining, they're stuck in those jeeps, and the jeeps going over the edge. The kids in danger. They keep just avoiding uh, catastrophe and death. They keep just avoiding it in tremendous pacing, tremendous scores. That's the quintessential Spielberg movie. But even beyond that, even beyond that, Saving Private Ryan. I don't know how you even go through your top movies list of all time without Saving Private Ryan being on that list. It's true. It's incredible. We wouldn't, it's, we wouldn't it, even have Vin Diesel without that movie. I mean, I, I, probably every single war movie that's came out after that. I can't see it being uh, as good if Saving Private Ryan didn't exist. You know, the, the, the classic shell shock scene. Just the way they kind of humanize a lot of these, that, like that whole beach scene, the way they humanize all these characters and just made that 
whole travesty just really resonate. Like Saving Private Ryan really hits home. Um, and he'll do something as as tragic as Saving Private Ryan and take that and do something like uh, AI, artificial intelligence. I don't think AI is like a particularly great movie, but I remember first watching it as a kid and this vague premise of it, if you haven't seen it, came back, it came out in 01, but it's, it's, uh, it's, a uh, I want to be a real boy movie. It, it is, it is Pinocchio. It is, I'm not real, but I'm growing a conscious and I think I know what feelings are. I think this woman is who I consider to be a mother, but then she doesn't want him. And then he's going through this whole arc of trying to find love that he's just learning what it is. Uh, there's a lot of things wrong with the movie, I think, this technically, but there's always this 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 heart at his movies of like kids, wonder, travesty, looking for meaning, looking for resonance, and even a movie like AI does that really well. Um, and I, I, I said this before, but I think his last like 15 years, I haven't cared too much about it. Like Ready Player One, I didn't really like it. It's technically astounding to watch. It's technically astounding to watch, but I don't care about it at all. Um, I don't fucks with Tintin. <laughs> you know, I didn't watch Crystal Skull. <laughs> um, but man, give me those uh, uh, fucking nineties, eighties, seventies Spielberg, and you're just scrolling through classics. And I'll always be interested in what he's doing next. You know, he has his hands in. And we were just talking about directors, but if you want to go fucking pro- top producers of all time, that man is nonstop. He's producing bangers out there too, beyond what he's directing. Very interesting movies. But Spielberg, he's a classic. You know him. You love him. He's my number one director of all time. I mean, you just can't you can't deny the classics, man. He's got too many of them. He's just he's he's just too good. Yeah, you can't beat the classic. That's right. You can't beat it. In the words of Charles Lee Ray, you should look him up if you don't know who that is. Can't beat a classic. Shout out, Shout out um, to our boy Charles. <laughs> exactly. Uh, wonder what Charles is up to. Uh, I hope he's all right. Uh, but I think his TV show got canceled. Oh, you're right. R.I.P. Charles. You'll be back. You always come back. But uh, just some honorable mentions, man. I'm sure you have some too. You already guessed one of them. Stanley Kubrick, The Shining, one of my favorite films. You gotta love his his yeah. weird psychedelic signature with his, with his movies um also jj abrams uh jj abrams was almost on the list um really enjoy cloverfield one of my favorites for sure um he's always you know producing and working on really in- intricate plots like lost and you know the star wars franchise i think he helped produce that and even wrote the script for the first one if i'm not mistaken uh, but he's always doing really cool innovative stuff um, I really love Bad Robot as a production company. They tend to make some really interesting projects. Uh, but he just didn't make enough movies that I enjoyed in my lifespan in my lifespan compared to some of these other ones. So he unfortunately got an honorable mention only, but that doesn't mean he's great. Um, I can't wait to see what he comes out with next. Uh, and then last was uh, Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes is someone I really just kind of came into recently. I uh, didn't know a whole lot about him. I know he's been around for a while, but he created two of my favorite movies of all time, which are 1917, which is quite recent, and uh, American Beauty. Uh, so those two films alone really put him up there for me. He just couldn't quite top the list. Uh, but those are my honorable mentions. Can't wait to check out 
um, any recommendations our viewers might have, but also just from these directors. I haven't seen all their works. That's what makes them so great. So I'm looking forward to kind of revisiting some stuff and watching some new stuff too. Uh, but how about you, man? Yeah. Um, solid honorable mentions. I'll, uh, I won't, so there's some overlap there, but I'll mention some ones you haven't, uh, some that you have not mentioned. Uh, James Wan set out to shout out to James Wan. I feel like he has still a young career, but you know, he came out with saw, which has that legendary twist, um, and spawned, you know, so many, you know, kind of copycat films and even his own series has really just gone ham in it to the point where now Chris Rock is rebooting the series. So, uh, definitely a franchise, probably the defining franchise for horror in 2000s. I definitely saw. And then The Conjurance, which I would say defi- probably defines the 2010s in terms of franchises. You know, you got The Conjuring, Conjuring 1 and 2, classic horror movies. Annabelle Won't Stop, The Nun. Like, I think they're coming out with The Crooked Man. Um, not that those are going to be good, but you you can see him building out his own universe, his own controverse, if you will. And I, th- I think he directed Aquaman as well, didn't he? He did. Didn't he, James want to do Aquaman? He he also did the Fast and Furious, like the the most recent ones. That was him. Um, yeah. He also did Insidious. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned Insidious, yep. but yeah, Insidious. He's, he's kind of like that new master of horror. Um, I mean, he's branching out to other projects as well. But yeah, he uh, just just from horror alone, he has. I can't believe I forgot James Wan, man. Damn, uh, that's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. Thank you for mentioning him because he's. He's kind of like this new age horror director uh, that I really enjoy. So yeah, thanks thanks for mentioning him. Yeah, love his style. There's a lot of classics in his style. He 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 does the classic horror tropes in such a good way. That's what The Conjuring is. It's classic horror tropes done with a master's edge of wielding that sword. Even a movie like Dead Silence. I don't think anyone gives a shit about Dead Silence. I kind of like Dead Silence. It was just this weird like puppet come to life, uh, classic poem horror where they have a little poem in the beginning that kind of encapsulates the lore of what's happening. It's, it's, it's quintessential what we would write in our own little like scripts. Um, James Wan, he's still has a young career. I am so excited for all the stuff he's going to do. Can't wait for conjuring three, the crooked man is probably going to suck. I'm going to watch the crooked man. I don't care. I watched everything else. I might as well. Yeah. So James Wan, definitely a uh, shout outs there. Um, and I had to give a shout out to my man, Spike Lee. Of course. Uh, didn't make it to the top five, but yeah, Spike Lee. Um, I remember watching Do the Right Thing as a kid and thought this is fantastic. Like, it's in your face. Uh, Spike Lee is not a man of subtlety. I don't find him to be a man of subtlety. He's a man who will speak literally to the camera with his characters to get his point across, to show the black experience. And I respect that entirely, the way he does it, at least. It's a, it's a, it's a fun break of um, the, the subtle norms where... He wants to encapsulate what that black experience is in his movies. And whatever his main thesis is, he's not afraid to literally scream that at the camera. And I think it works for his benefit. So um, a lot of good, a lot of good group of films he has. I'm really interested. He did the the five bloods. I have mixed feelings about that one, but uh, black Klansmen uh, do the right thing. There's, there's so many movies of his that, I'll watch it, whether I find it to be a great film or not. I always like the Spike Lee joint. So and for shout outs to Spike Lee. And for a long time, he's he's really the only voice uh, the black community had when it came to representation in films. Um, so he was he was kind of repping from the very beginning, uh, which you have to respect. Uh, I know we mentioned it before. Yep. Representation 
in in this business in this interest industry is actually it was really hard back in the day so when you see pioneers like spike lee and guillermo del toro doing it you really have to take your hat off to it because it was a different world back then it was much more difficult uh to kind of break through that wall and they did it and they they did it in style so i completely agree with you man and just kind of a note on james Wan too i think dead silence was his first real big film that he released oh, okay so yeah he, he kind of started on the right foot he kind of hit the ground running on that one but uh but yeah spike lee uh for sure is a great one same with james Wan. yeah um and i can go on and on i'll i'll, I'll cut off my honorable mentions there but again like these are all even the ones that were just honorable mentions we love all these directors there's so much work involved where like we, any of these directors can be their own top five like topic we won't do that not this year at least but they all have that much uh quality and in some cases tremendous quantity to have their own top lists but yeah we love all these people they're all in our master class um but yeah let us know what's your list what does your top five dead or alive director list look like um how do you like ours is is it as is it everything you've ever wanted out of a top five list? Is it a piece of shit list? Um, let us know. Um, Shitler's list. <laughs> Shitler's list, man. I was gonna, I was gonna rewatch that movie in uh, in anticipation for the recording this episode. I could not bring myself to do it. I just could not do it. It just it hurts. It hurts. But that's again the magic of these directors. They they bring that script to life. They bring that so forever our inspirations um any closing thoughts on your end uh no man honestly these directors all create really magical films and people out there we do this list to just kind of share with you the things that uh were important in our lives at least shaped our our view of things to a certain degree or how you know, we ended up growing up with certain opinions. That's what films do. They help us grow. They teach us things. They make us think, at least the great ones do. So uh, that was really the great part about making this list. Uh, these directors really do that in spades. Uh, and I hope that anyone listening will check out the works that they haven't seen from these people, as well as, you know, be brave enough to kind of venture out and see uh, directors that aren't on this list that, uh, you know, they might want to check out and definitely share those people with us. Uh, some uh, some up and coming ones that uh, I just wanted to say at the end here. Ooh, yes, uh, yes. Ryan Coogler, um, RIP. Uh, Big to, uh Yeah, yeah. To Chadwick Boseman. Uh, Ryan Coogler has made some great films with Chadwick. Um, he also made Creed, which was a fantastic movie. Um, he's Hell he's yeah. another up and coming director representation, of course, there as well. Um, and then, of course, Ari Aster, who we mentioned all the time. Uh, so you, you're beginning to see a lot of really cool directors coming out. Jordan Peele's another one. Um, so, you know, you see a lot of the influences of these old directors on these newer generation. And, you know, it's just kind of relieving to see uh, young blood take up the mantle. Um, but Humble Origins are always appreciated. So definitely check those out, guys. We love you. Yep. And... I mean, yeah, I guarantee in another 10 years, the guys you just mentioned will probably be on my top five list. I guarantee they have enough work brewing. They wouldn't probably make this top five list now if we didn't set the, all right, at least have five movies under your belt. But yeah, uh, the future, while currently 
seems like we're encased in a shit snow globe. Um, there is a lot of beauty in this world and artists like this uh, help us literally see them uh, come to life. So um, let us know what you think. But until then, thank you for tuning in to another episode of After the Act. You can find all of our work on malapictures.com. You can find all ATA podcast episodes on your favorite podcast platforms, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, etc. Um, find all of our social at After the Act podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and tune in next time where, you know, we're recording this. What is it? September 18th right now. It's getting into it's it's spooky season. Now. Spooky it is. season. It's, just, it's, it's, it's straight up spooky season. It is it is the the dawn of horror for 2020, which has already dawned us with a lot of horror. But I mean, what we're going to make sure we do, we're definitely going to get into some spooky reviews, whether it's some retroactive shit, some new shit, maybe a show or two. We're going to definitely dive into some horror esque stuff. So stay tuned to that. We love you. Take care. Don't worry, guys. We'll get to that porn episode soon. We promise. <laughs> that sounds more like a Christmas episode. Some good old family fun. (laughs) See ya.